Thanks for watching this episode of Turning to Him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Turning to Him. I am here with Amber Pierce, who has generously given us some of her time. Amber, how are you doing? I am doing great. I'm really excited to be here this morning. Well, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for asking me. Um, before we jump into it, give us like a 30-second rundown of what you want to share today. Well, in thinking about what has brought me closer to Christ, I had the unique opportunity to have someone very Christ-like as my sibling. I had a brother with special needs, and he taught me a lot through his life and even more through his passing. And so that's what I want to share with you guys today. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, all right, give us some background. Where where did you grow up? Uh, when did your brother come into the equation? Give us, give us yeah. some of Absolutely. So I grew up in the mountains of New Mexico, still there now. And I grew up in a very unique uh, environment because I had hippie parents. We originally, our family was started in a hippie commune. Okay. And then my parents converted to the gospel. And part of it was because the first time my mom walked into church, she saw all these families with these stair-step children. And she was like, oh, I'm in the right place. <laughs> always had this desire to have a big family. When I say big, I mean big, because after she had her fifth child, she was devastated because uh, she couldn't have any more children. It would have been life-threatening for her. And, you know, a lot of people would say five, that's good. That's too much. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but she knew she wanted more. And I, she's even told me the story of shortly after her fifth child. And when she knew she couldn't have more, she visited a friend who had two children and just like nonchalantly was like, oh yeah, I got pregnant again, but ugh, I don't want more than two kids. And, and just was like, yeah, I had an abortion. Like it was nothing. And it devastated my mom. And she walked out of that experience and just remembers looking at the sky and saying, heavenly father, what I would do for another child. Yeah. And it was shortly after that, that LDS social services contacted her and my dad uh, because there was a baby that had been in the hospital in the NICU for five months and he only weighed seven pounds at that time and they hadn't put him up for adoption because they honestly didn't think he would live mm -hmm. but once it became clear that he would live they were like well maybe we should see if there's a family that would take someone with such great needs yeah so uh my mom you know when she my parents had originally thought of adoption they had decided that they you know you when you fill out paperwork you you have to say what are you willing to take on my my mom had a brother with special needs and it was so devastating to see him having to be put in a mental institution that she didn't feel like she could take on a child with special needs. But when she got that call, she's like, okay, can I just come see him? Mm -hmm. And so she and my dad went to the hospital and she said the second she looked into that baby's big blue eyes, she's like, oh, 
he's mine. And so even though the doctors actually discourage them from adopting him, because they're like, listen, he won't walk, he won't talk. You will have to feed him likely through a tube. He might not even live past five years old. Mm -hmm. And as the doctors were telling my mom all this, she was like, no, she knew that he had a beautiful life ahead of him and that he would defy all the predictions. And so my parents went through with the adoption. So he was the first uh, adopted member of the family. Yes. Yes. What was the age gap between um, the current siblings and then now this new sibling? So he said it works so perfectly because my mom, actually the youngest was barely a year old. Okay. He was right there and she was still nursing. And because she was still nursing, she was able to nurse him, which actually helped him to start thriving and gaining weight and growing in the hospital. So that was a real gift that he just came right after the last one. Okay, so the so the youngest was one, and then he comes in, and he's been in the NICU for five months, right? So one and five. Mm-hmm. Wow, <laughs> close together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so she brings home you. Your family brings home a new younger brother. I won't say baby brother because he's five months old, but a new younger brother. Yeah, but he was the size of a newborn. So hey, yeah, yeah that's true. But he immediately became the glue of the family, like that was his role. That's I'm sure why he was sent to us because like it, his life was pretty, you know, uh, we weren't sure if he was going to survive that first year. He had to lay on, I think my mom called it an apnea blanket where alarms would go off when he stopped breathing. And so it was a family effort. Every time those alarms went off, we would all come running and make sure that Billy was okay. And, but we just loved him. Like we fought over him. <laughs> we would just play with him. And it was because of all that interaction with other children that even though the doctor said he would never walk, you know, he, he wanted to keep up with us. And so even though it, he was three years old before he walked, he was, he learned how to walk. Yeah. And, um, we just played with him and loved him. And it, honestly, when people would ask me like, oh, how many biological siblings do you have? And how many adopted? I always forgot that he was even adopted. He was just always supposed to be there. You know, that's interesting. I don't want to get sidetracked, but um, in my extended family, we have a mix of biological kids and adopted kids. Uh-huh. I've always wondered, why do people ask? Why do, why do people make that differentiation? You know, like, what do you mean? Why are you asking me how many siblings I have? I can tell you that number. I don't know how many biological and adopted there are. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, Yeah. it's funny. Although with my family, it was pretty obvious since six of them were adopted from India. So we didn't look very much alike. Although when my sister and I were college roommates, we told people that we were actually twins, but our dad was from India and our mom was, and people believed us, but... (laughs) that's awesome yeah okay I interrupted you okay no so um years later like when so he was adopted when I was about three and then uh my whole family moved 
out of the commune and off grid on the other side of the mountains of New Mexico and um, no running water or electricity. Kind of crazy. I didn't realize that that this was happening while still on a commune. Yeah, well, yes, yes. Well, um, the home that my parents had in the communes, I wish I had a picture with, with of it with me because some an arsonist actually burned it down because they thought it was ugly. It was art, okay. But uh, so they, my parents, uh, purchased another. Just it was a home, a circular home with a loft. It was very simple, and that's where we lived for the first. Um, I think it was like ten years of my parents' marriage. So we were still right next to the commune and still played with all our hippie friends and whatnot. Although my parents were no longer living that lifestyle and their friends, you know, were afraid that my parents would be narcs. And so they kind of pulled away (laughs) a little bit. Uh, Yeah. So we lived near that uh, hippie commune until I was about six years old. And then my parents just wanted to be away from it all. And so we moved off grid. And and when you say off grid, you don't mean, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just correcting myself. Okay, so when you say off grid, you don't mean not connected to the municipality utilities. You mean no running water, no power. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about that experience. (laughs) You know, as a little kid, it's like, oh, camping, fun. (laughs) Oh, I don't have to shower. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Playing in the dirt every day was an adventure, you know, like hunting lizards, hunting snakes, going for long bike rides, like just, you had to be really creative, right? Because there was no screens to entertain you. Um, I can't imagine what it was like for my mother, because, you know, we had to have an outdoor kitchen, and we had to go to the KOA to shower once a week. Um, In between, we would sponge bathe and whatever, but I'm like, my goodness, how did my mom do that with six little kids? But um, l- luckily, they wanted to adopt more children. And in order for that to happen, we had to have a, a few more luxuries. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so we did finally get um, indoor plumbing when I was nine years old. You were nice. So you clearly remember both side, both histories. Yes. With without. Yes. Yes. And actually, the home in the commune didn't have the plumbing and electricity for a while, but we finally uh, got, no, it always had electricity. It didn't have plumbing for a while. Um, so we finally got that. It was just always just a kind of a, whatever, a free life, you know, not worried about those things. Um, and it, it was just fun and, and simple in so many ways, but, uh, yeah, so we got plumbing when I was nine and then uh, before then for light, we just, you know, those big helium tanks, yeah. that's basically, we got a, a propane tank about that size and just put lanterns on top of it. Uh, so we just had propane lanterns around the house for at nighttime. But before my parents adopted more, they did, um, funny enough, my dad was electrician by trade. <laughs> okay. I know. <laughs> but they so my dad wired the house and we got a generator so that at least we could turn but it was very basic it was just to turn lights on 
at night. We couldn't have a washer and dryer. We couldn't have a microwave or dishwasher, like nothing that drew a lot of power. Like I couldn't even use a hair dryer as a girl. Like, come on, not fair. But uh... <laughs> you told though that um, your younger brother had to lay on a blanket where alarms would go off if he stopped breathing. So yes, when he was adopted, that's when we lived in the other house that did have electricity. Yeah. Okay. By the time we moved over there, he was three years old and he didn't have that problem anymore. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So yeah, all was good. And um, sorry, I feel like I'm, my story is, there's so much I need to. I love it. I love it. (laughs) I easily go all over the place though. Just rein me in. (laughs) because I do want to focus more on my brother, Billy, and how he taught me more about Christ. But um, so when I was nine years old, my parents wanted to adopt more. So long story short, they adopted five sisters from Calcutta, India, and then found out that they had a cousin that was a boy who was in that orphanage and adopted him. And my mom was um, a teacher at school, and there was a child that had a disrupted adoption. And so my parents adopted him. So when all was said and done, there was 13 kids. 13 kids. Okay. But where my brother comes in, in all of this, the true gift is that, I mean, you can only imagine what it might be like to combine two families like that. Yeah. Completely different culture and very, both families very set in their ways, right? When, when my sisters were adopted, we basically, each got a twin. That's that. Those were their ages. Okay. And it was really hard because the battle line was drawn, right? And a lot of times it was the adopted siblings against mm-hmm. the biological siblings. There was a lot of conflict. But my brother, Billy, was the peacemaker. No one, he never took sides. He, he, if he came into a situation where there was conflict he would somehow just always diffuse it because he was just so unaware of the the hate the anger the whatever was going on and he just loved and that's what he brought into every situation and a heavenly father a loving heavenly father knew that he would need to be a part of our family um and he just he just brought laughter into every situation too. I mean, he loved Disney movies and well, every movie he loved the Goon- like Goonies, Back to the Future. And he, so his vocabulary was lines from movies. Yes. And so to diffuse a situation, if we were fighting or whatever, he would just repeat this hilarious line from the movies, you know, like. <laughs> like a walking gift factory. Yes. And then we would just all stop and just laugh. And he loved to sing. He had a terrible voice. I swear he, he must be the, have the most angelic voice as an angel. <laughs> you know, the, the movie Little Mermaid and Scuttle? Yes. He would impersonate him all the time. So we'd be in the middle of an argument and then he would come in and just start singing like, like Scuttle. <laughs> and it was just... He was amazing. And the other thing that he taught us is how to just quickly forgive. Uh, Because, you know, he was so meek without guile. 
never held any grudges. And I love this story that one of my siblings told where my brother Billy was standing in the doorway without my sibling knowing. And he was, look, my, my sibling was looking into the mirror and just feeling down on himself. And, you know, in a place where I think we've all been, where we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. And he was talking to himself in the mirror and just saying, how can I ever forgive myself? And my brother was Billy, Billy's was like, hey, I forgive you. And he said in that moment, just that knowledge, if that's exactly what the Savior is trying to say to us, like just as simple as that. Yeah. Hey, I forgive you. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's go, let, let go of these things. And so I just love that example that he was. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so your family has this gift, this peacemaker that is often a bridge between two sides. Mm-hmm. Um, how does this progress? I mean, you, you mentioned that Billy passed away. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, start, start walking us through that. Okay, so I'll start with, I got married, moved away. Well, actually, I have to tell one more story. Because <laughs> I bring my husband home to meet my family for the first time. This just describes my brother, again, how he always could make you smile. Um, <clears throat> we pull down the road that our house was off of, and my husband is like, Ooh, I think there's a crazy person in the road. Because there was this man riding a bike down the road road with a bathrobe on. Okay. He was clothed, don't worry, but a bathrobe and cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. And I was like, oh, that's my brother. And I'm like, slow down, slow down, uh, roll down the window. And so we slowed down, rolled down the window. And my brother just looked over and he's like, hey, I'm Duckwing Duck. <laughs> <laughs> He loved Darkwing Duck, that cartoon. Um, and immediately he loved, he he pretended like anyone he met, he's like, that's my best friend. And he would tell you, you're my favorite. You're my best friend. And you just believed him. Um, so I get married, move away. And then my husband gets a job back in New Mexico. Which honestly, I wasn't so excited to go back to New Mexico. Well, I was like, been there, done that. I want to live somewhere else. But and, and I wasn't really so happy about him accepting the job. But the, it was interesting. The one thing I knew is that while we were selling our house, whatever, whatever in the interim, that we were supposed to live with my parents. Okay. Which I was surprised by because I, I'm very much. Like I need my own space kind of thing. And my parents lived in a very small house and had lots of animals and always were bringing people into their home. <laughs> and so I was like, there's not enough space for us. But I knew that we were supposed to be there. And, but I thought our house was going to sound like that. Okay. It did not. Uh, the, the month that we moved, the housing market in Vegas crashed. And so it took quite a long time for our house to sell. And then when I moved into, so their house was about 1500 square feet. Okay. So when we moved in with my three kids 
My brother, Billy, of course, was still there because he would always be with my parents. And then my sister, who was a single mom, when she found out I was moving in, decided she wanted to move in. So she moved in. And in the same month, my dad's childhood best friend, who was a veteran and struggling with alcoholism, had been kicked out of every place he lived and needed somewhere to stay. And so he moved in. So we're talking about like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people in a fifteen hundred square foot home. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, Heavenly Father, I hope you have something good in mind because this makes no sense to me. And it was actually really difficult because in all of that, I was the only one that was the stay-at-home mom, so to speak. And so I cooked and cleaned for 10 people. I had a hard enough time cooking and cleaning for my three kids. And I had a baby who wasn't sleeping and we were all in one bedroom. It was, it was pretty intense. Yeah. But before then, um, the, the state paid for a caretaker for my brother. Mm -hmm. And because I was living there, uh, my mom was able to tell that caretaker that that she wasn't needed anymore. And so I could be my brother's caretaker. And uh, he became a playmate to my children. He loved kids, was such an advocate for kids, but it was really hard to be a parent because you could not discipline your kids in front of my brother. He would get so mad at you (laughs) if they ever got in trouble. And he was such a turkey because if I ever, if my kids ever asked for a treat or whatever, you know, you always put them up high in the pantry so the kids can't reach. My brother would hear and he would sneak and he would go and get whatever my kids asked for and give it to them. Favorite (laughs) uncle. Like I couldn't say no, you know, he, he, anything they couldn't do. He was like, I gotcha. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It ended up being a blessing. We, and I later learned that that was why I was supposed to be there because little did I know that that one year that I, had the opportunity to live with my parents was the last year of my brother's life. Okay. And talk about hindsight 2020. I, it was one of those years where I felt so sorry for myself, right? Because, you know, I have to cook and clean for all these people. Our house isn't selling. I'm so depressed. I miss all my friends back in Vegas. And I was so focused on everything that I felt wasn't right and didn't make sense to me that I didn't realize the gift Heavenly Father was trying to give to me. It was a lesson that I will never forget. Whatever trial we are going through, it's because the Savior loves us and he's trying to give us a gift. And we just need to ask for eyes to see. That is so profound. And that is a lesson that is so hard to apply when you're in the experience, right? Yeah. We can oftentimes look back and say, oh yeah, that's, sometimes we don't even get to look back and say, oh, that's why I get it now. I think a lot of times that'll come after this life. Yeah. Occasionally Heavenly Father gives us that gift of saying, okay, that trial that you just finished, here's why. But it is 100% up to us to try to have those eyes when we're in the trial. Yeah. Say, this is a gift. This is it, a gift. 
Yeah. I'm doing everything that I know how, and I'm still having this trial. Therefore, I feel confident in defining this as this is a lesson that I've been given, a gift that I've been given to learn something. Yeah. That is amazing. I, and even I'm so grateful that like, even though when I look back, I feel a little bit of sorrow, right? Because I didn't see the gift for what it was, but then I feel gratitude for learning that lesson because I mean, there's something I'm even going through right now where yesterday I was just reminded of that. Like my heavenly father loves me, whatever reason I'm going through this, it's, I can trust that it's a good reason, even though this is a hard thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I was really grateful for that experience. Um, but when, so I'll tell you a little bit about the miracle and the blessing behind when my brother did pass. Um, well, first of all, I have to let you know that my brother always, like we knew his life wouldn't be a long life. We didn't know exactly when he would pass, um, but we did cherish every moment. And and what was neat is I did feel, my brother and I both were like, we need to interview Billy. And that was about nine months before he passed. And we have some great video of him. Oh my goodness, of him, just it's his personality uh, shining through. And so we have that recording and we're so grateful for that. And uh, my brother though, you know, he didn't know his life was gonna be short, right? And he, even though we full well know that he would not ever leave home, he always said, Amber, I'm going to go to college in Roswell, which Roswell is known for like the aliens. Yes. If anyone knows Roswell, New Mexico. So I don't know where he got. I'm going to go to college in Roswell. But he's like, I'm going to go to college in Roswell. I'm going to major in girls and I'm going to go on a mission. <laughs> <laughs> and he would tell everyone that over and over and over again. I'm going to, he's like, he wanted to be a missionary. And yes. of all the videos he loved watching, he especially loved watching church videos that involved missionaries. So I don't know if you remember, but the church came out with a video uh, that was, they sang called to serve in multiple different languages. Yes. Well, he memorized it. Every, and he would just sing, go through the house, singing it at the top of his lungs. In fact, I remember some lines just because of him. I don't know what language it is, but he loved, he loved that song. And he always, always wanted, wanted it sung. And he always was adamant that he was going to serve a mission. And he didn't know that he was serving a mission. Like he loves people every group, not only in our family, bringing people together, but you should have seen him like at school, the gangsters, the hardcore gangsters loved him. And he would go up to him and be like, Ole, what's up, Otto? And you know, like, and I'm just like, oh, Billy, you're gonna get beat up. But no, they, they loved him. And like every group at school just loved Billy. And you could not, he was like a local celebrity. You couldn't go anywhere without getting stopped. And so, you know, part of my a job in taking care of him was taking him to the grocery store. So he get all the foods that he liked and he was able to cook. And, uh, you, I could not get out of that grocery store without being stopped by multiple people. But so many times, you know, everyone was always excited to see him mostly because of his reaction. So if someone would be like, Oh, Hey, Billy, he's like, Oh, 
And he would run up and like, they would embrace or give high fives or whatever. And then that person would walk away and I'd be like, like, so who is that, Bill? And he's like, I don't know. (laughs) So even though he didn't even know who he was talking to, he would just treat everyone with so much love. And, you know, once again, just like so Christ-like, saw nothing no discrimination no just saw people as people and just loved them so um of course being as childlike as he was he loved the holidays and he still believed in santa claus and the easter bunny and christmas was coming up and he was especially excited because you know we have such a huge family rarely did our whole family get together But this particular Christmas, we were going to have so much family coming into town more than usual. And so every day he would pretend like he forgot what was going on. He'd be like, so Amber, who's who's coming for Christmas? Just because he wanted me to, he wanted to talk about it. He was so excited for Christmas. Well, uh, we were super excited too, but my because of my brother's physical disabilities, so he had something called myotonic dystrophy, which affects the small muscles in your body and they don't function. So without going into too much detail, you can imagine the, the problems that would cause with your digestive system. Mm-hmm. And so about once a month, he was in horrible, horrible pain and would be down for several days. And so about a week for before Christmas, he started feeling this way, which actually I was grateful for because I'm like, oh, let's get this out of the way so that he can be happy and out of pain for Christmas. But let me tell you, those times were really hard for me too. I would just be like, you know, Heavenly Father, why does he has to have to suffer? He's so innocent. But he never complained about it. You know, he would come and cry sometimes and just want a hug. But he was so, you know, he just submitted. Yeah. So this week before Christmas, not only was he feeling sick because of his disabilities, but he got a cold as well. So we're like, dang it. So my mom and I were both just like trying to nurse him back to health, just hoping that he would feel well for um, everyone that was coming to, to be with him. We checked on him Christmas morning. I mean, Christmas Eve morning. And he seemed to be a little more energetic. We're like, okay, good. We're like, Billy stay in bed so that tonight, because he was so excited to hit the pinata in New Mexico, we got to do pinatas on Christmas Eve. And so we're like, just sleep. And then we'll wake you up for the pinata. Well, it was, Everyone had gathered and it was pinata time. And my mom and I opened the door to go wake him up. And immediately we knew something was wrong. His breathing was completely labored. You could see that come, you know, I don't know if you've ever watched someone that's struggling to breathe, but you know that something's wrong. And immediately we're like, whoa, what do we do? we call 911. How serious is this? But immediately we're like, whatever happens, he needs a blessing right now. Mm -hmm. 
How long had it been since every single one of his brothers that held the priesthood were there? My dad didn't have courage to give him a blessing. <clears throat> and so my brother, Chuck, who was my, Billy's, Billy said everyone was his favorite, but Chuck was his favorite, darn it. <laughs> but my brothers and my dad gathered around Billy. And of course me and my mom and my sisters stayed in the room as well. And as my brother blessed him, he let him know that his heavenly father was calling him home. And as soon as that blessing was over, like we were all just in shock. I mean, as my brother was giving the blessing, I was like, what? Because I was waiting for my brother to say, you're going to be healed and you're going to enjoy yep. Christmas. And it wasn't that. And we're like, well, what's going on so we called 911 and my brother was immediately taken to the hospital and immediately put on a ventilator somehow from that morning to that evening he developed pneumonia well because of his myotonic dystrophy once a machine takes over for your your small muscles there's there's no turning back okay and we, the one thing my brother always hated was doctors, hospitals, dentists, and we always promised that we would never let our brother suffer through anything like that. Mm -hmm. And it was clear and the blessing helped us as well to, that it would not be necessary to keep him on a ventilator. He would not be happy that way. So let me tell you, that was a pretty hard Christmas morning when we all got up to go to the hospital. Um, since he had been taken away in the ambulance, he had not been responsive since then and on the ventilator. And darn it, he was so excited for that Christmas because my sister, he really wanted a captain's hat. Like I said, he loved dressing up and my sister had found a captain's hat for him. And so, and he loved going through his stocking. So I brought his stocking captain's hat to the hospital. Not sure if he'd even be responsive, but we all gathered into the hospital room and they took him off the ventilator. And for the first time since he'd been in the hospital, he woke up. And I know it was an absolute miracle and a gift from God he couldn't talk because his throat was raw but he saw the captain's hat and immediately communicated that he wanted that hat on his head <laughs> and but didn't want I asked him I'm like do you want me to show you what's in his stocking and he and I'm like or do you want to go through that later and oh he wanted to go through it later he wanted to be the one to pull the stuff out of the stocking so we put the stocking aside and so we're like do you want us to Sing you Christmas songs and oh he was so excited about the Christmas songs so we're all singing Christmas songs around him and after we'd sing many songs and could tell that he was just loving it all of us just like we didn't discuss it we just all spontaneously broke into songs singing called to serve sorry it's hard not to get emotional, but 
and that room could have been filled with angels. I'm sure it was. But that song just took on such meaning, different meaning and brought so much peace because we knew our brother was finally being called to serve on the mission he always wanted to serve. And he would be serving that mission on the other side of the veil. And we knew he would be going home. The song ended, we each gave him a hug. And the moment we were all done saying goodbye, he closed his eyes and never woke up again and passed away that Christmas day. And, you know, some people, when I say that my brother passed away on Christmas day, they're like, oh my goodness, what a terrible day for someone to pass away. That was the greatest gift because he was the most Christ-like person we had ever known. And how fitting it was for him to pass on the day that we celebrate our Savior's birth. I believe there was no coincidence in that. And I look back on that whole experience and it does, not only did I know the Savior better because of my brother, which sorry, this is a picture of him. <laughs> I should bring it closer. That's my brother and he's, this is my son that he's holding, who is actually now serving a mission. <laughs> oh, wow. Sure, my brother is helping him out sure. on a mission, but um, he taught me more of who the Savior was and what his attributes are, and also helped me see the Lord's great miracles and mercies for us. What a mercy that. I mean, he knew how dear our brother was to us. The fact that he passed at Christmas, it, he was able, all his siblings were able to say goodbye to him. We were all there, which was not common. And the fact that he woke up for that short time when we were all in the hospital for us to be able to say goodbye. So many miracles. And I, and, and even the, the miracle of, the priesthood power and priesthood blessings, just knowing that reassurance that, cause my mom, you know, worried like, did I do something wrong? Should I have taken him to the hospital earlier? Would that never happen? But that blessing, no, that heavenly father was calling him home. Yeah. So. What an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And the thing that strikes me about all of this, <clears throat> of course, there are a thousand lessons that you could take from this, but one of them seems to be there were so many opportunities for you to not submit to the will of the Lord and then miss out on these blessings. Would it would it have been absolutely tragic and you don't get to go to heaven? No, that you would have been fine. But so many blessings and and tender mercies you would have missed out you could have easily said hey heavenly father i'm not moving my family into a 1500 square foot home no i'm i'm gonna live across town i'll be i'll come over every other weekend it'll be fine it'll be great and you could have done that and and that would have been great but you would have missed out on this amazing experience and opportunity and relationship with your brother you know i mean you, when we submit to the will of heavenly father when we submit to the promptings our life is better not easier, not always easier, 
our life is better a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Thank you for that perspective. Yeah. I guess I've, I never thought of, wow. Yeah. It would have been easier for me to live somewhere else, but you're, you're right. When we follow God's promptings, however hard or easy, it, it's never in the wrong direction. Yeah. What, man, I just, I can't thank you enough for introducing us to Billy. What an amazing man and, and an amazing uh, person to teach us about the Savior and about yeah. the Savior's love. He was amazing. I will, in his funeral, my goodness, my brother gave the best eulogy in the world. But at the, during the eulogy, um, he, so of course this, the, the chapel was packed yes. to the back of the room. And my brother said, can you do me a favor real quick? Said, if you have, I'm not going to cry. If you have ever been hugged by Billy, will you please stand? And every single person in the room stood up. <laughs> Just another evidence of his love. I hope, I hope that I can be as loving and non-judgmental and accepting and forgiving as my brother Sunday. Well, that sounds like a goal for all of us. <laughs> yeah. So thank you again, Amber, for taking the time. This has been truly uplifting. 